So, hey, I want to just say thank you to all our visitors, and I want you to just relax and just enjoy this day. And I pray if you don't know my Savior that you'll know him. You wonder why these folks are so emotional about this. This is the hope of all eternity. And this is, this is our day. Amen. And we want to worship our Lord. And uh, this is not a holiday. It's a holy day. Amen. All right. I'm going to take you on a little journey today. We're going to talk about the great day of the Lord. And then when I'm finished and after the invitation, the choir is going to sing. And we're, they're going to sing the great day of the Lord. We're going to talk about the great days of God today. So where we are today is that we're celebrating the resurrection. But if you never knew this or didn't think about it, there's a lot that went into getting to the resurrection day. And there's a lot of things that have happened after that resurrection day. And so we were sitting around uh, here uh, singing and practicing for Easter. And boy, we got to the end of that song that we're going to sing at the end of the service. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Brother Jerry, you need to talk about more than just this day, but all the days that are great to the Lord. Because listen very carefully to me. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, can I say this to you as kindly and soft-heartedly as I can? None of the great days of the Lord will make any difference to you. And you will see some other days that will hurt you. The judgment day is coming. The tribulation day is coming. And I want you to know my Savior. And so I don't make any bones about it today. I'm here to influence your heart. This is not propaganda. I'm coming up front and saying, I want you to know my Lord. And so our, our passage today that I want to give you that we're going to, I'm going to use that as a jumping point. Uh, mostly, I mean, every Sunday, pastor comes here and I preach expository messages. And we're in the book of 1 Corinthians right now. But today, I wanted to do something special just for you. So it's a topical message, the great day of the Lord. In Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 14, the scripture says this, The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming very quickly. And so I've got 10 days I want to mention to me. And we got to move. I can't spend too much time on each one. But as I always do, I tell my folks, there's more in my notes than I can get done here in 30, 45 minutes. And so you, you can go online. I'm going to post this online this week, and you can go and run a copy of it yourself, okay? And so there's going to be so much more here than I can give you. And many times, uh, folks break my heart. They say, Brother Jerry, I'm looking for a good devotional book, and I just can't find one. And I say, I have it online for you. All you got to do is just go pull it down and read it and go through it. And many of you do make uh, that available to yourself. And so uh, let's look. Let's talk about the first day. The first great day of the Lord is creation day. You're going to say, well, Brother Jerry, it was actually a week. Yes, it was a week. But it starts when we talk about the word day in the Hebrew. It's the word yom. And it's the, the day that the Lord began to bring about this universe. And so I have never tried to, and I'm not going to now. I'm just going to state the facts. I've never tried to prove the existence of God. And I've never tried to prove the great day of the Lord that God created the universe. Do you know why? Because God doesn't do that. The scriptures assume the existence of God. The scriptures assume that the Lord created the world. And I'm going to tell you something today that I think uh, uh, many people just really don't know. There are many people who would call themselves an agnostic or an atheist. Here's my opinion of that. There are no atheists and there are no agnostics. 
And do you know why? Because they know the truth. They're lying to you. They do know that God exists, and they do know that God created the universe. And let me read a few passages of Scripture for you. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, the Scripture says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and foolishness dominated their hearts by darkness. Men know that there is a God. You come into this world, you are born, the day that you are born, uh, into a great day. And I want to tell you, God puts within your heart a need to seek after God. And many people will not seek after God because they want to be disobedient and rebel against God. Many people are still fighting the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. Did you see the passion and the emotion on the people's hearts and minds in this room a few moments ago when we sang to our Lord. Uh, listen, uh, I, I, I like the oldie goldies, and I used to love the eagles, but I want to tell you something. The eagles have never allowed me to feel the way I felt a while ago. Y'all all right? In Psalm 14, 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The reason that he's a fool is because he knows in his heart that God created this universe and that God exists. Man's head and his heart know the truth. God does exist. In Psalm 19, it says in the first four verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I ought to tell you, that's the scripture. That's not Brother Jerry. That's the scripture. Man just simply denies the existence of God and the display of God's glory. If the scriptures literally says that the heavens declare the glory of God, you can't look into the sky and tell me with any reasonable amount of intelligence that there is not a higher power, a very strong individual and entity in this universe that created this world. Design tells us, creation tells us that there's a creator. Scripture reveals the creator. Design reveals this creator. Water reveals the creator. Where did all this water come from? Where did the natural resources come from? You cannot get out of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 without understanding time, space, and matter. These things could not have gotten here without someone creating them the day of creation in the beginning. Well, folks, in the beginning, that's time. Yeah? God created the heavens. There's your space. In order for God to create the earth in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's your matter. You got to have somewhere to put the matter God existed before time even, before space, before matter. The universe itself tells us this. It's Trinitarian. Uh, everything in the world is made of threes, time, past, present, and future. Space is length, breadth, and height. Matter is solid, liquids, and gas. And you, my friend, are mind, body, and soul. You can't deny that God exists and that you were created by the Creator. Through general revelation, theologians call it, as you look into the universe, general revelation will clearly tell you that there is a designer. Now, one day I was standing by the side of the road, and this big plane flew over where we were close to. And right out into the pasture, all of a sudden, this plane crashed. And then another plane came overhead and dropped a bunch of wire and a bunch of bricks and a bunch of metal. And it all fell down. And when it hit, there was a big explosion. And then I looked back and there was a building there. And a few minutes later, people came and got out of their cars and went into that building and began to work. And they turned on the lights. And someone said, I'm hot. Could you cut some air on? And someone turned an air conditioning on. It was a miracle. 
Everything fell right out of the sky, hit the ground. There was a big bang, and there was a building. Well, that's what you're expecting to believe. If you tell me that everything that we see is designed and perfect and working in function, that the stars are in place, that the planets are in place, I want to tell you, there was a great day when Elohim said, let there be light. That was the day of creation. But what's more important than that, my friend, is the Bible so quickly and so very quickly, Genesis 3.15 begins what we call the proto-evangelium. It begins right then, right off the bat, to tell us that there would be a, a challenge between good and evil. The Scripture says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And, he, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt crush his, uh, bruise his heel. We learn very quickly there was a Messiah coming, and between the Messiah and Satan himself, there was going to be battle. Immediately uh, in the third chapter, we find about Jesus coming into this world. My friend, the book of Genesis is where God begins to reveal himself to sinful and disobedient man. To claim to be a non-believer is to say that they cannot see the glory of God. And the scripture tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. And listen, Psalm 97, 6, and all the peoples see his glory. The coming of Messiah, what a great day that's going to be, huh? Yeah, Jesus is here. Jesus has been here once, though, but the first, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, the story of Jesus saturates the meta-narrative of the Bible and the prophecies of his first advent are found throughout the Scripture. Immediately, everything in Scripture begins to talk about the Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord has tried his best to reach mankind for years and years and years and years. Allusions to him uh, also come up in microwaves and in many places all through the Scripture. He would accomplish every one of the prophetic statements that was made about him. One scholar, J. Barton Payne, has found 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow point to or describe the reference to the coming of Messiah. Alfred Edersheim also found 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah coming. And while Jesus was here on this planet, as he walked among us for his short 33 years, we find in the scriptures over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled while he was here. And there's more still to come. The Bible has copious, copious places where Jesus is referred to. Adam himself is a type of Christ. Jesus in the New Testament is referred to as the second Adam. King David is a type of Christ. Jonah is a type of Christ. The rock that produced the water is a type of Christ. When the children of Israel were in the desert, the Passover lamb is a type of Christ. The tabernacle and the temple are actually types of Christ. The entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament points to the day that there would be a Messiah that would come that would make good those Old Testament sacrifices. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and we will call his name Emmanuel. The God of the universe that created this universe came by way of a virgin birth so that you and I could see the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Micah talks about him being born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. 
Bethlehem, Chlechem uh, in Hebrew, the house of bread, and Ephrathah, the blood. It speaks of the, the, the body and the blood of Jesus right there in Micah in Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, for your king, he comes to you righteously and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isaiah 53, I mentioned uh, Friday night as we talked about the suffering and the pain and the agony. Isaiah 53, the entire chapter speaks of what Christ went through for you and me to have salvation. He was crushed for our transgressions. He was bruised. He was beaten in Isaiah 50. I offered my back to those who beat me, uh, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from them. They were mocking me. They spit upon me. One of the greatest prophetic statements in all of Scripture is found in Daniel chapter 9 that literally that you can go to that gives you an exact time and exact date down to the moment where Messiah would be cut off. No other writ in all of history would be able to do that. What was the result of the coming of the Messiah? My friends, we had to have the prophecy fulfilled. I heard one preacher said he would still have been the Messiah had he been killed in the manger. I said, no, my friend, no, he would not have been because there had to be prophecies that were fulfilled. He had to do that. He had to live. He had to die. He had to go to the cross and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, he had to be resurrected from the dead. We have a virgin birth because the coming of the Messiah. We have a God-man. And the reason, listen, you may have never heard this. All you've ever heard is the, is the plan of salvation. You've heard people say that Jesus died for you. And, and what was the purpose in all that? Because Adam lost our dominion. Adam sinned and plummeted us into sin. So our dominion was given to us gloriously. And it was legally lost with the sin of Adam. And so it had, the only way that our dominion could be given back to us is it had to be righteously regained. We needed a man to get back our righteousness. And that man was Christ Jesus. And that man came by way of virgin birth. We could not have had a God-man without the virgin birth. So we stand on it. It's one of our hallmarks of the Christian faith. We had to have a God-man. And that God-man lived a righteous, holy, pure life in every way. And he got our righteousness back for us by dying. Oh, but then we come to the crucifixion. You see, we still had some enemies. And the, great, and the greatest days were those days where Jesus was crucified. Why? What was the purpose? The crucifixion and the death. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die such a cruel death? Is God just a mean person up there? Many men have said to me, oh, I can't serve your Jesus. I can't serve your God because what, what kind of loving heavenly father would have killed his son? The kind of God that would allow that to happen so that the righteous God-man could be the only pure holy sacrifice. There was only one man in all the universe, Jesus Christ, who could die for your sins. And there had to be a crucifixion for that to take place. Because we are descendants of Adam, we are lost, we're separated from God. When we come into this world, we're, we're descendants of Adam. He is our representative. And so that's why you don't have to teach little boys and little girls how to lie. They come that way. You remember the story in the Bible where Esau sold his birthright. Well, my friends, Adam sold our dominion. He sold our birthrights. Jesus had to come through virgin birth and be 100% God and 100% man. A man lost our dominion and a man had to righteously acquire it back. Sin had to be punished. 
The wrath of God had to be appeased. And oftentimes preachers will say, and and I've said it myself, and, and let me explain it a little bit. Salvation is free. No, it's not. Someone had to pay the penalty for my iniquity and my sin. And that's why Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice. And what you see through the brutal beatings of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross should not be looked at and mocked and scorned and and rejected. You should be receiving that. It's not a joke. It is the most important thing that we have as Christians. This is why I'm referring to, this is what I'm referring to when I say to you that Jesus Christ was the one who paid your debt and he redeemed you. His blood paid the penalty. His beating, his suffering paid the penalty for you so that you could have access to God. You cannot get into heaven, my friends, without Jesus being your Lord because you're guilty, you're depraved, you're separated from God. Listen what Romans chapter 8 says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're out of Christ Jesus, there's condemnation. Theologians call these two phrases expiation and propitiation. You know, God, uh, through Jesus Christ, not only cleansed me of my sin, that is propitiation, but expiation, the Lord Jesus removed the wrath. I'm not guilty anymore. I'm not under the condemnation of God. My friend, I beg you in the name of Jesus Christ. Those of you who are watching by way of internet this morning, I tell you, if you're outside of the family of God, the wrath of God rests on you. The preacher wants you to know the love of Jesus Christ and how he came to save you and to die for you and to give his life for you. In Romans, Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. When I get to heaven, he is my righteousness, my holiness, and my redemption. I I won't have to stand there and, and answer for my sin because Jesus has paid the penalty for me. But I have to go to him and get that forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 and 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The Lord Jesus today is waiting to lavish his love upon you. Can I ask you this question? What would it take? What would it take for you to come to him? Why are you so afraid? Would you be honest with me this morning and say to me, Brother Jerry, I have literally made a mess of my life. Well, then you need to give your life to Jesus. And he will begin to fix it. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And there's so much more. There's so much more. Listen, on the the day that Jesus was crucified, there were three crosses. There was a man there that day that died in his sin. There was a a man there that day that made fun of Jesus and mocked him right unto death and went into hell. There was was another man there that day that died to his sin. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be in paradise with me. But there was also another man there who died for sin. And that is the Savior, the clean lamb, precious lamb of glory. In John 19 and verse 30, 
It gives us the words that Jesus said right before he died. It is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. And can I ask you this? Do you know what was finished? Well, all the prophecy of the Old Testament was fulfilled. The wrath of God was removed. The law was fulfilled. The ceremonial, the civil law, the Ten Commandments were fulfilled. God's will was fulfilled. Redemption was brought to us. Atonement was given for you and me. Atonement is the privilege that you and I have to get close to Jesus. Can you hear the word at one meant in the word atonement? The blood of Christ brought that about for you. Then there's the resurrection. Oh, what a great day. And that's the focus of this day. But all those great days happened before we got to the resurrection. Because, you see, we still had a few more enemies that needed to be defeated. And I want to tell you, last night as I was going over my notes and looking and thinking about how to present this to you in this little historical lesson, the one thing that God showed me last night that was so impressed upon my heart, and maybe you've never thought about this, but the greatest act of faith in all of history of mankind was Jesus Christ trusting his heavenly Father to raise him from the dead. You see, Jesus said, It is finished. On the cross. And they took him down and they took him and put him in a tomb and covered him up, and that was all he could do. He was dead. He had to trust God. And you see, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to trust Jesus Christ by faith to raise you from the dead when the day comes. Y'all all right? You see, because we still had a few enemies death, we had hell. We had the grave to deal with, but I want to tell you, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, a while ago, uh, Madison pictured that she had identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The scripture literally says, because he was resurrected, you will be resurrected. Now, can I ask you a question? What part of that deal don't you get? What part of that deal do you think is a bad deal? You bring him nothing but your sin, your wickedness, your depravity. He gives you life and hope and peace and eternity. Is that a bad deal or what? I'm not a used car salesman. You can trust me. If you're a used car salesman, I apologize. The resurrection affects us biblically. The resurrection is the centerpiece of the Bible. The resurrection affects us anthropologically. The science of humans and their works, the science that deals with the origins, the physical and the cultural development of man, biological characteristics and social customs and beliefs that mankind has. All of these have been affected by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no area of life that the resurrection does not touch. Historically, the resurrection is part of history. It is there. You can't get rid of it whether you like it or not. It's there. Theologically, my beliefs, my doctrines, and my behavior, and my practices in life, my mores, my security, my faith, and my hope, theologically rest in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing that took place, even though Jesus said it is finished, he had done the work, we needed victory over the grave. When Brother Jeremy sang and he says, Oh, death, where's your sting? Those are the words of Scripture. Those are the words that came from Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse, uh, right before verse 58. 50 and 55, and, and, and Paul says, Death? Paul mocks death and says, where's your power? Where's your sting? The resurrection has affected me personally. 
When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I began to understand and know that what the preacher was saying was actually true. It's affected me eternally. I have conquered death. You just look at me and you say, preacher, come on now. You, you just think you're a big shot preacher. You've conquered death? I said, yes, sir. I laugh at the grave. I'm not afraid to die. You may put me in the grave, but I'm not staying there. When I die, I will go to be, my spirit will immediately, when I breathe my last, will go to be with the Lord Jesus. And one day when he returns, he'll raise my body from the dead. Why? Because he's redeemed me, mind, body, and spirit. All of me has been redeemed, and Jesus will not even let the devil have my old uh, box of ashes. He's going to raise that from the dead and make it a new body fit for the kingdom of God. I am theologically, practically, and passionately attached to Jesus' victory over the grave. For what I received, I passed on to you, Paul says, as of first importance. At first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The resurrection of the dead is the centerpiece of our belief. If you want to study the resurrection... The landmark passage is 1 Corinthians 15 in the Scriptures. From start to finish, it's the best place to go to understand and to study the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was a missionary. He was on the mission field. He was there with one of his colleagues who was a Buddhist. And there was this fanatical crowd that was out in the street. And they were having a rejoicing party, celebration, a festival. And the missionary says, What's going on down there? He says, well, sir, what's happened is they found one of the bones of Buddha. And they're bringing it through the street and the people are worshiping. They're they're so excited that a bone from Buddha has been found. The missionary looked at him. He says, sir, that is the exact example of the difference between what you believe and what I believe. He said, if they were to have found one minute particle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any bone, there would be no rejoicing. There would be dismay and confusion and pain. Well, let's move on very quickly. We've got a long way to go. I wanted to just encourage you again, read all of the notes. Then the next thing that I'm looking for, I want to tell you, is the rapture of the church. And I've had so many people disagree with me, and I can honestly say this. I'm standing behind the pulpit but I believe with every fiber of my being I can prove to you that Jesus will rapture the church before the tribulation. I have material in my office that I've studied for years and years and years and years, and I believe that I understand it very well. And one way or the other, though, doesn't matter to me when Jesus comes. If I have to go through the tribulation after the Antichrist takes over this world, I want to tell you uh, I'll be glad to be a martyr for Jesus Christ because I know where I'm going. You can't kill me but once, and then I'm going to be with the Lord. Y'all all right? This day, the rapture, in my opinion, starts the day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord. I believe once the church is raptured out of this world and it's going to happen, and you have said to yourself, I don't see how any of this could happen and people not understand what's happened. Well, let me just tell you, today they actually believe that men can be women and have babies. I looked at the population of the universe yesterday in the, in the earth right now. It's over 8 billion and some million odd number of people. And I want to tell you, every one of those people were born by a woman. Guess how many were born by all of those 8 million people? Guess how many of them were born by women? None. 
so they can keep their lives. Let me just tell you this right now. I believe Jesus is coming. It's going to happen. And God has said in the Word that He is going to send in the latter days a spirit of strong delusion. Could you ever imagine that people would believe some of the foolishness that they believe today? I can tell you why they do, because God has sent a spirit of strong delusion. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, he rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. How can we come with the Lord Jesus if we have not been raised from the dead and raptured before that day? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds, in the air, to meet the Lord, and so we will ever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want you to know that I believe in the rapture of the church. Immediately after the rapture of the church, there begins another day. It's actually seven years, but it will start on the day the tribulation begins. The Antichrist will come on the scene, and in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, it explains the tribulation and what's going to happen in those days. The tribulation will start, I believe, with the rapture. Immediately after that, Israel will make a treaty. And that treaty will be with the people of Israel. And halfway through the treaty, the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem and call himself God. And that's what we refer to as the abomination of desolation. Revelation chapter 6 begins to reveal the seals being opened. The seals will be followed by trumpets and bowls. The latter part of that tribulation will all focus really on Israel They're going to be punished and purified so that they can receive their Messiah. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, But the day, the great day, the day of the Lord will come. It'll come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You should live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. So then, friends, since you're looking forward to this day, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Jeremiah 30 and verse 7 says, Alas, for the great day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. God has promised to save his people from that day. Did you know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can keep you from that day? You say, Pastor, this is a strange Easter message. Oh, no, friend, you've just been hearing fluff all your life. And I want to tell you, I have just hit all of the major doctrines in the Scripture. And without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would all be in trouble. We would all not have a Savior. And I want to tell you, Zechariah 13, uh, verse 8 and 9, And it shall come to pass in the land, says the Lord, two-thirds in it shall be cut off and they shall die. It's amazing that the prophetic teachings of Scripture are here. Now, what's going to stop that terrible day? 
Well, many of you may not know this, but I just spoke about the rapture. But there's another time that Jesus is going to come too. But this time he'll come and he'll be on the earth. It's called the second coming. And at some point in time, now listen very carefully. If you don't understand history, listen to me. All you got to do is watch the news every day. And the scripture teaches that at some point in time, all the nations of the earth will turn against Israel. And that will be the days of the Antichrist. And many days, for, for many, many, many years, even your pastor, I thought, Lord, I believe your word, but I don't see how in the world that the United States could ever turn against Israel, our friend. Well, my friends, let me tell you right now, the United States of America is no longer the United States of America that we used to know. One of our presidents actually said that we're not even a Christian nation anymore. The president, the leader of the free world, and all the nations of the earth one day are going to come against Israel. And in my belief that the scripture teaches the rapture, seven years of tribulation, and what stops that war? Well, my friends, the second coming is what stops that war. Jesus is going to come to earth and he's going to put a stop to that war. And, and as we hear in 2 Thessalonians, with the splendor of his coming, he's going to put an end to it. And then there will be the end of the tribulation. There will be a thousand years of reign where Jesus Christ will rule and reign on this earth and show man how it was supposed to be done. Then there will be a final rebellion and Satan, the beast, and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire and then the judgment comes. And my friend, you don't want to be here in the judgment. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. But, let, but don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day cannot come until the rebellion occurs, which you're watching with your very own eyes right now. And the man of lawlessness must be revealed, the man that is doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God and his worship, and that he will set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming that he is God himself. And what's going to stop that? What's going to stop the evil from overcoming? And my friends, if you're watching the news right now, and you don't have some fear and trepidation in your heart about where this world is going and how evil it is, you have to know and believe, and you have to admit that the world is going downhill so fast that there has to be the ruler of darkness, the man of lawlessness, that's going to come and set himself up. Who's going to rescue us? Well, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1, a day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. And I will gather all nations to Israel, to Jerusalem, to fight against it. And the city will be captured, the houses will be ransacked, and the women will be raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. And listen, then the Lord will go out and he will fight against those nations as he fights in the day of the battle. And on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and the other half moving south. 
And my friends, the reason that's going to happen is because God's going to use that. Jesus will use that to rescue his people from the Antichrist. You may also go to Matthew chapter 24 and other verses that are in here. It is just absolutely amazing. And, and then we have so many other things, so many other days that are going to happen. After this, the judgment will come. The day of judgment. Oh, what a terrible thing. But oh, what a wonderful day of resurrection that we have. That Jesus Christ, that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to bleed for you, to give you redemption. And many people laugh when the preacher preaches on judgment. Pastor, how could you preach on judgment on Easter? Because I don't want you to be a part of that. I want you to receive. I want you to believe. Please, if you'll just give him a chance by faith. The great white throne judgment says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heavens fled away. And there was no place found for them. And I saw the, the dead, small and great, standing before God. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their to their works and by the things that were written in the books the sea gave up their dead and death and Hades delivered up their dead in them and literally the scripture tells us that death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire would I leave you there oh no I wouldn't leave you there because there's some there's another day coming oh it's a good day after that thousand years of rain the scripture talks about the eternal state. Now, I do something every funeral that I do, and I've done a lot of funerals. I read out of one passage because it explains the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, in Revelation 21, it says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first heaven passed away. There was no more sea, and then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former order of things have passed away. And then he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these things down because they're faithful and true. Now, now listen, there's a unique word in this passage. It's the word new. Did you hear it? I'm making everything new. In the Greek language, this little word is kainos. Can y'all say kainos? Say kainos. What it is not is the word chronos. Now, chronos is a word that we get our English word chronometer from. Some of y'all have been looking at it thinking, is this crazy preacher ever going to finish this morning? That's your chronometer. It's on your hand. It's your chronometer. 
That's not what this word for time means. This is your time piece. The chronos means new in quality and in form. Listen to me. There's a day coming that I'm going to be a new person. And you say, well, what are you going to be made of, Brother Jerry? I don't know. All I can tell you is that I won't be able to sin anymore. I won't be able to get cancer anymore. I won't be able to be ugly and rude anymore. I won't be able to get angry anymore. I won't be able to lust anymore. I won't be able to be greedy anymore. I won't wake up tired anymore. Jesus is going to raise my redeemed body, and I'm going to be fit for the eternal kingdom. I'm going to be a different person. I'm not going to be new in time because that won't do me any good because then I'll just start over again and start falling apart again. Did anybody have a hard time getting up this morning? Did y'all creak at all this morning? I did some creaking. My legs were going to get them straightened out and all that, and you know. I know y'all look at me and think, look at that good-looking preacher. He, he ain't got no problems. He's good. I know what you're thinking, but it's not true. Look, I got to have my glasses, and I got to have Motrin. I have all those things. Listen, when we get to the eternal state, there won't even be a baby aspirin in heaven. You all right? So why is the pastor so passionate about Jesus and the resurrection? Because I want you to be there with me. Well, now, if you're counting, you know that there's nine days that I've mentioned. What's the greatest day of the Lord? What's the greatest day of the Lord? What is, what is your great day? I'm going to tell you what your greatest day is. If you don't know the Lord, it's today. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Today is the day of salvation. That's a quote from Psalm 95. Today could be the greatest day in your life for all eternity. Because you see, all of the days that I just preached about, as wonderful and great and awesome as those days are, You're not going to believe this. Some of you may not believe this, but I'm going to tell you the honest truth. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, if you were to get saved today, that is greater than the day of creation. See, because the Lord doesn't really love the creation as much as He loves you. All of these days mean nothing without a commitment to Jesus Christ. There is coming a day of the great and glorious day of our God. And my only question for you today is, see, I watched some of you this morning. And here in the pastor's heart, here's what troubles me. We literally sang about the resurrection of Jesus Christ a while ago. And many of you were looking back with zero emotion. I want to ask you a question. How in the world could you have inside of you what I have inside of me and it not touch your soul? I mean, how come you couldn't just say, Lord, thank you? The Bible says lift holy hands unto the Lord. Could you just put a smile on your face? I mean, could that do something for you? He's coming again. 
And I want to be ready. And I want to be found willing. And I want to be found expecting him to come. And I don't want you to ever look at me and say, I thought that, I thought that preacher was saved. He looks like he got weaned on a pickle. I don't want you to look at me like that. I want you to look at me and say, that guy believes what he's preaching. 